Denise Gittleman here for the first Lady of Nutrition podcast, where each week we bring you the most innovative and the most illustrative lights in the nutrition and healing space. And today is no exception. I'm going to be interviewing Rachel Gregory, who is a nutritionist and the author of the international best-selling 21-day ketogenic diet weight loss challenge. Now, just to let you know, I've never been a real fan of keto, but after listening to this wonderful gal speak and understanding her philosophy, I'm on board. So help me welcome Rachel Gregory. So Rachel Gregory, good day to you, my dear. And what is metabolic flexibility, pray, pray tell? Hi, how are you? Thanks for, for having me. It's, um, my, it's my pleasure. I'm having you because I was very impressed with your background. So tell everybody where you got your master's degree and the fact that you were actually published in a peer-reviewed journal. That's what impressed me about you. And you're an aficionado of ketogenic diets, which is a real issue, I think, right now with people that, that, are, that are doing keto, but probably not doing it in the right manner, facet, or form. Mm, I, I definitely agree. So yes, I got my uh, master's degree in nutrition and exercise physiology from James Madison University. And um, when I was studying there, it was a two-year program, and I had to complete a master's thesis. And I decided to look at the ketogenic diet in non-elite CrossFit athletes. And this was back in 2014. So it was just before you could say that keto was getting kind of a little bit more popular, right? So around like, I would say 2016, 2017 is really when it started to, to become more mainstream, um, especially you know, within the last 10 or so years, we know within nutrition space, you know, these things ebb and flow throughout, uh, throughout decades. Um, so I decided to, to look into the ketogenic diet. I really didn't have any idea about it myself. Um, and I got kind of went down the rabbit hole of all things keto and low carb and ended up um, doing this study, looking at implementing a ketogenic diet in non-elite CrossFit athletes and looking at the body composition changes um, throughout that. And it, it ended up being a very, very successful study. And that study got published in 2017 and, and I graduated uh, grad school in 2016. So after that, I kind of went on um, and just continued to go down the rabbit hole of low carb keto, um, made a lot of mistakes for myself and started working with a lot of clients, um, learned from all of the experiences throughout that. Um, and it kind of laid me in this, uh, the last few years in this place of um, actually becoming very uh, carb phobic myself. Um, as I transitioned, um, away, started to transition away from a strict keto, low carb diet and, and found that it wasn't really working for me anymore. I started to find that a lot of my clients and, and people that were out there, especially women were struggling in the same degree. And so I kind of, um, developed this, uh, path and, and, and went and use different tools and strategies to help me get out of that carb phobic mindset and really transition more into, um, what I call more of a metabolically flexible lifestyle, which is just really incorporating more balance into your lifestyle while all while also still, um, benefiting from some of the, the benefits that we know can occur with, um, a little bit of a lower carb diet and kind of transitioning through different stages, depending on where you're at in your own fitness journey, where you're at in your own, um, seasons, you know, with your own metabolic health and, and all of that. So that's really what got me into, uh, metabolic flexibility. 
So I've written many, many diet books. Um, my bestseller was The Fat Flush Plan. I followed that with Radical Metabolism. I've just finished my 37th book and I've looked at keto from every different vantage point. I'm a fan in a very um, regimented way. So I want you to tell me what you think the pros and cons of this program are. What would the pros be for a ketogenic diet, particularly for women? Yeah, absolutely. So with, with keto, I think it really just comes down to first and, and this, you kind of uh, preface this when you started off first, just realizing, you know, that keto is it's, it is a metabolic state, right? So it is literally putting your body into a state of ketosis. Um, and that can be established through different methods, right? There's not just one method where you have to completely reduce carbohydrates, very, very low, increase your fat, very high. And that's the only way to get into a ketogenic state that that's not true, right? There's different ways. And there's also, but why, let um, me, let me stop you there. Why do we want to get into a ketogenic state? Would you explain that to my listeners? Yeah. So basically if we kind of look back at evolution, right, we know that our, our bodies have, um, really, you know, just in the recent days have become metabolically inflexible in the sense of, you know, if we look research kind of estimates that, you know, about 99% of our genetics and our DNA hasn't really changed in over, you know, 10,000 years. Right. But our lifestyles have transitioned drastically over, you know, say even just the last hundred years from more of a hunter gatherer style lifestyle to more of like a farming factory processed foods. And we just now have abundance of food available, available to us at all times. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we just think about it kind of practically in that sense, you know, we have become very metabolically inflexible in the sense of like, we are, a lot of people are relying solely on carbs and sugar to fuel their days. Right. We have, you know, uh, lots of diabetes occurring, lots of, um, just over consumption of foods in general, whether that's carbs, fats, whatever it may be. And so, getting it, going into a state of ketosis are really just like reducing your carbohydrates, especially if you are someone who is, who has just been, um, more so on a higher carb diet your entire life. You haven't really tapped into that, um, to your ability to use fat and ketones for fuel, which if we think back to, you know, our ancestors, they were doing that pretty regularly because they were going through periods of abundance and then periods of, you know, fasting when there wasn't food available. And so they were kind of metabolically flexible by necessity, really, right? Like had to be. And so just kind of in this day and age, it's, it's very uh, common to be more so on that side of the spectrum where you are just abundance of food. You're always kind of, you know, eating every few hours. We have like blood sugar dysregulation, things going on in that sense. Um, and so getting into a state of ketosis and kind of, I guess you could call it retraining your body to kind of know what it's like to use ketones for fuel and you, and, and, uh, basically efficiently switch back and forth between using ketones and fat for fuel versus using sugar and glucose for fuel can be, um, beneficial in the sense of you're, you're basically teaching your body to be more efficient at that process and use those different fuel sources when it's necessary, when it's warranted. So, you know, using more fat and ketones for fuel when you're just sitting at your desk, being very sedentary throughout the day. Maybe if you're someone who doesn't get a lot of exercise or activity, um, versus if you're someone who is, a, a you know, a elite athlete and you're exercising all the time and you're, you know, you know, using up your fuel stores, you need, you need a lot of food and you need carbs to fuel that exercise. You can efficiently, you know, go into that. So, um, 
Did that answer your question? I'm not sure if that answered your question. <laughs> I guess my real question here is, who is the ketogenic diet good for? We're not talking about elite athletes, but who would mm -hmm. benefit the most from a strict ketogenic diet? What would be the pros for somebody? Is it somebody that has blood sugar dysregulation? Mm -hmm. Is it somebody that needs to lose weight quickly? Is it somebody that has seizures and brain issues? What would be your, your real top people that really would benefit from this type of approach? Yeah. So anybody who's really suffering from maybe type two diabetes is, is very, you know, is obese or overweight, um, suffering with metabolic syndrome. Uh, we know that there's uh, with women specifically PCOS that can be, can be one, um, one quote unquote treatment for PCOS in the sense of it, it allows you to, um, kind of become less insulin resistant. We know that that's a sign of PCOS. Um, and the, really the benefits with that is just being able to regulate your blood sugar a little bit easier. Um, for a lot of people, it can improve energy, uh, throughout the day, it can increase cognitive function. So me mental clarity and focus, um, for me, particularly, you know, I have never been overweight or obese when, but when I, um, or suffered from any of those issues, but when I first adopted a ketogenic diet, I found for myself that I was having a lot less food focus throughout the day. Um, and I'm, I probably, that, that was probably because I was having a little bit more stable blood sugar levels throughout the day. Um, and maybe a little bit more improved insulin sensitivity, just increased satiety from focusing more so on protein and fat, um, fewer cravings and hunger, um, things like that. But yes, I believe that there is, you know, there's different people who can benefit, uh, more from going towards that maybe stricter keto approach versus someone who, um, doesn't need to go that strict, especially if you aren't suffering from any type of metabolic issue or disease state. Um, we know that, you know, the ketogenic diet was actually founded in, um, or, you know, discovered for people who were suffering, suffering from epilepsy and right. they had to use ketones as that, that alternative fuel source. But if you're not suffering from something, you know, as serious as that in a serious medical condition, then you don't necessarily need to, to be high fat, uh, and, and super low carb and super low protein. And there can be a lot of, you know, detriments to, to doing that, especially if you're, like you mentioned in the beginning, you're, you're not doing it correctly or for your particular, um, metabolic health. Right. So is this really a short term? I mean, I've seen people do a short term with tremendous success, but I haven't seen anybody do this long term for the long haul with success. What is your experience? Yeah. So I think that keto and, and just going through it years myself and, and working with tons of, of clients, I work with a lot of women who, you know, went keto and they found initial success, uh, kind of in the short term, whether that be, you know, the first year, even like I've seen success within a, like for a year or two following it, and then eventually hitting a plateau or hitting a, a state where they, you know, either it can't be sustained anymore, or maybe they just don't want to sustain it anymore. And they don't know how to reintroduce carbs. Um, so I believe it can be used as a tool. And I think that it really has to come back to the individual and come back to where they're starting off from in terms of, you know, you know, if we're looking at it uh, on a spectrum, like, are we more towards that side of the spectrum that is 
maybe overweight or overbeast or, you know, suffering from type two diabetes or pre-diabetes versus that side of the spectrum. That is someone who is leaner and, and not sedentary and more active, um, and has maybe less body fat on them and less energy stores. Um, and maybe they're in a more stressful state in their life. So I think it's all about coming back to the individual and, and figuring out, okay, like where are they on this spectrum? And also what is their stress like in their overall life? Cause I think it plays a huge, huge role in, in the sense of like, will you benefit from even going into a ketogenic diet state? Because we know that that in itself can stress your body out even more, especially for women. So just looking at your overall stress load and, and thinking about those different factors, personally, I think that is um, one of the biggest keys to look at before, you know, undergoing anything like that. So what do you see on typical blood tests? Do you actually measure blood testing? Do you, do you look at, at, glucose levels, triglyceride levels, HDL, LDL, and so forth when somebody's on a strict keto plan? Yeah. So with most of my clients, I work with a lot of, um, kind of lifestyle clients, I call them. And we look at a lot of other metrics. Um, not so much like I don't do blood testing myself, but if we were testing, um, with some of my clients, we do, uh, look at glucose levels. Some of them do wear CGMs. Um, but that, I would say that was probably more of a, a smaller degree of those clients. For most of my clients, we focus on more so the, um, kind of everyday metrics and biofeedback and looking at, you know, all of those things and, and how we can measure those on a subjective, uh, kind of platform versus the objective, um, blood measures and things like that. Because I found a lot of, a lot of success focusing on, um, the biofeedback metrics in terms of their overall nutrition, uh, their sleep, their stress management, their recovery, their exercise, um, and, and, rec and recovery ability, their performance, all of those things, how much they're moving throughout the day, uh, their mood levels, their, um, you know, motivation throughout the day, like all of those things and, and getting that full picture. Uh, plus, you know, obviously if we are, you know, if there are concerns of other things that we need to look deeper into the blood work or look deeper into, um, hormone levels and things like that, then, then that is kind of a, another, another, uh, thing, another rabbit hole that we can go down. Um, but for personally, for me, for most of my clients, we're looking at most of the, the subjective metrics and seeing how we can optimize those, um, in general. So for people that don't have a gallbladder, it's an issue that I write about quite prolifically. What do you do for somebody that can't accommodate all that fad? Yeah. So it would, it would just simply be kind of thinking about it practically as well. Like maybe, um, and this is one of the biggest things with a going on a ketogenic diet and going, you know, uh, like I talked about before, you know, there's different ways to get into a state of ketosis. And one of the things that I looked at in my study was actually not putting, uh, my clients or my subjects on a very strict standard keto diet. It was actually just lowering carbohydrates and actually keeping protein, um, pretty moderately moderate and, and pretty high actually. Um, and then just kind of filling the rest in with that, but not making it a super high fat diet. And just the fact that they were able to reduce their carbohydrates and even keep their protein higher, um, and maybe not bring fat up super high. They were still able to get into a state of ketosis and, and stay there. And, um, so I think that that would just, you know, if there's someone who cannot handle a lot of fat, then you have to obviously, you know, not go on a very strict standard keto diet. And maybe, um, if they, if they think that they can benefit from going into keto ketosis, maybe incorporating, you know, 
some fasting protocols, um, you know, starting off with a higher protein approach, um, not upping fat too much, um, and just focusing on reducing the carbs. Um, and then, yeah, so that would probably be my approach for that. And before we continue, I want to thank you once again, my wonderful sponsors, UnikeyHealth.com, the home of all my formulations, including BioBuilder, MagKey, and Super GI Cleanse, as well as CS-Health.com, the home of the only official activated sulforaphane products for internal and external body and beauty care. Thank you so much, my wonderful sponsors. So then what are the fats that you concentrate on? So just fats in general, looking at um, getting a good balance of monounsaturated to saturated, um, obviously, you know, kind of staying away from the more, you know, fats that are, are more highly processed, right? So like your vegetable oils and the things that are kind of factory made um, and, and sticking to, you know, the kind of, you know, more natural fats. So monounsaturated. So having, you know, olive oil, avocados, olives, um, and then some also including some saturated fats as well uh, in terms of, you know, coconut oil, animal fats, um, the, the natural fat that comes within the meats that you're eating, you know, eggs, things like that, dairy. And so talk to me about macros of the various types of programs that you work with. So we're not talking about a 75% fat diet, are you necessarily because of the aspect of metabolic flexibility? So what is the most common macro delineation that you work with? Is it 50, 40, 30, 30, 30, 40? Is it 50 and then 25, 25? What would you say? Yeah. So I don't really go off of percentages. Um, when I'm working with clients and, and recommending, I go off of really, if the goal is to get, you know, into a ketogenic state, we're looking at reducing their carbs to, and, and this will depend also on the person as well and, and their um, overall activity levels and their exercise and all of that, because we know that, you know, some people need to reduce carbs a little bit lower than others to actually, you know, get into ketosis. So, but for most people, I found that, you know, just saying, keep your carbs to a total of 50 grams or below, um, keep your protein. I like to keep protein pretty high, um, depending on the person, again, their activity levels, their amount of body fat they have. Um, the more body fat you have typically, uh, the less lean body mass you have. So you can bring protein out a little bit. So I like to stay in the range of 0.8 to about one gram per pound of body weight. I think that's the easiest kind of metric to go on. And then we kind of titrate up and down based off of, um, you know, how they're feeling based off of their progress, you know, all of that, how they handle that protein. Um, and then within the fat, we kind of just use fat as that lever to kind of fill it in with their calories. Um, the more body fat you have, I, the less fat you actually need. If you're getting into, um, you know, if you're trying to get into a deficit and trying to use your own body fat for fuel. Um, and then if you have, you know, if you're on the leaner side, you know, that would just mean adding in a little bit more fat just to, to get those calories up a little bit higher. But yeah, typically I don't use, uh, go off those per percentages. I just look at, um, keeping, you know, carbs at a certain level, um, titrating them up and down, keeping protein pretty steady around that 0.8 to 1.1 uh, sorry, 0.8 to one gram per pound of body weight. And then, uh, filling the, the fat in with the rest of the, the calories, depending on where they're at. Um, and then again, you know, 
because this isn't, because I work with a lot of clients who are actually coming from a strict keto approach and their goal is to actually start to reincorporate carbs into their lifestyle. Um, we're, we're, you know, reintroducing carbs and doing it in a way that, um, is strategic for them and for what, where they're at in their, in their journey. So what are the most strategic carbs? Are we talking fruit? Are you talking complex carbs? Are you talking grains? Are you talking starchy vegetables? Give my listeners an idea. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, first of all, just thinking about, you know, what, when you're going to start incorporating these carbs, I typically like to start with, um, if I have someone who's coming, coming to me from a strict approach and they are kind of psychologically in that place where they're really just afraid to eat carbs. And it's, it's actually a lot more common than you think, um, or not you think, but then a lot of people think. And so I like to place carbs first around, uh, if they're working out, if they're exercising, putting their carbs around that pre and post-workout time. Um, and then if they're not very active, uh, putting them more so at night before bed to help with, uh, winding down at night, help with a little bit of sleep regulation potentially, and really just focusing on whole food carbs. So, um, you know, just thinking about your fruits, your veggies, there's like, you know, start with incorporating fruits, um, and start with incorporating, um, some, you know, starchier veggies. So obviously the non-starchy veggies would be those, uh, like your, your veggies and things like that, which most people are already consuming. Um, but thinking about incorporating more berries and, uh, all different types of fruits and then potatoes and squash, and maybe some, um, rice and just kind of working your way through those whole food carbs, um, is really what I found the best place to start, because that's not only going to, um, allow you to get the full benefits of obviously all the nutrients from those whole food carbs. But, um, we know that when you're having other carbs that are more processed, um, and, more hyper palatable, they can be easier to overeat, um, and also just not make you feel that. So, you know, just taking a very practical approach when we're introducing carbs, it's going to be, you know, thinking about, um, I always say, you know, most of your diet should really be consumed in general of foods that either had a face at some point or have grown from the earth at some point. Mm. Um, and if you're thinking about that practically, um, that's going to cover a, a good, a good wide range of nutrients. So do you have vegan clients? I have worked with a few vegan clients. I, it's not my specialty. I, I am very much, um, in the camp of, um, animal products and, and including those and the benefits of those. I do think, um, that, you know, I am not against veganism or anything like that. I think it is a little bit more difficult to, to, to accomplish if you're going to accomplish a ketogenic diet on, um, and, and in a way that is sustainable for, for that person, for that period, for a period of time. Um, I think that it's a little bit harder going through, through that vegan route. Um, so I don't particularly work with a lot of vegan clients, but, um, yeah. And then how does fasting fit into the picture? Do you, are you a believer in intermittent fasting? Is it appropriate for everybody? What are the benefits? What are the cons? Sure. Yeah. So I definitely, um, went down the fasting rabbit hole myself, um, especially when I started getting into the ketogenic diet and low carb. And, um, I started fasting, um, and I started thinking, you know, I've started feeling good. And then I was like, Oh, more is better. And so I started doing longer term fasts and things like that. And eventually got to the point where I was doing a little bit too much. Um, and I work with a lot of clients in that regard as well. And I think that fasting can be a a good tool in certain circumstances, but I think with fasting, it definitely for women, you have to be a lot more careful. We know that we have, um, you know, a little bit more sensitive 
hormones and we know that stress is a huge piece of that as well. And, and that's why I always go back to looking at the individual and their overall stress load. If they are stressed out, um, you know, at work, if they are, you know, managing all these different things, if they're over-exercising, they're not recovering properly, they're putting their body a lot, you know, into that sympathetic mode, right? We have parasympathetic and sympathetic. So they're putting their body uh, mostly to be, to be in that sympathetic state for a majority of the time. And if you are fasting for extended periods of time on top of that, then you're kind of just pushing yourself more into that rabbit hole of um, a lot more stress and, and your body will eventually kind of burn out from that. Um, so I think fasting can be used strategically. I think that it should be used strategically. I think that it also comes back to what side of the spectrum you're on, like I mentioned before. So if you're on the side of the spectrum where you're closer to having like you're leaner, you're very active, um, you know, you don't have a, much, a lot of body fat, you have a more stressful life, like fasting probably uh, doesn't fit in super well. Um, maybe doing like I call light fasting where you're just doing an overnight simple fast and maybe you do, you know, 10 hours here and there, 12 hours, um, but doing chronic, you know, long-term fasts probably is not the best idea for someone on that side versus someone who is, has a lot of body fat is maybe more insulin resistant, maybe has some, some issues with blood sugar regulation, um, incorporating a little bit of fasting can help with, uh, becoming a little bit more insulin sensitive, help with the reducing a little bit, um, of overall inflammation and, and things like that. So that would be kind of my take on, on that. So I want to spread out my comment a little bit, cast a wider net, as they say. So you've talked to me about keto for women. Is keto for men any different? Um, I think that men, just from my experience, you know, anecdotally working with, I, I work with mostly women, but I do work with some males as well. Um, I think that men can probably get away with, um, I guess, doing better with keto in the sense of, uh, they have, obviously they don't have as sensitive, you know, hormonal fluctuations as women have throughout the month and things like that. Um, but again, I do think it also comes back to just where they're starting out, out at, right. So if it's a very lean male, if he's super, super active, then maybe keto is strict. Keto is not the, not the best approach. Um, but I think that just, if we're answering the question overall, I think men, potentially have a little bit of an easier time with it than women do. Is it better for a male body than a female body? Cause I believe it is. Um, I would say so. Yeah. Just because I think overall women are just more sensitive to, um, being in more of a stressful state. And, and I think keto can be a little bit, uh, for again, depending on what, what end of the spectrum you're on, I think keto can be, um, too stressful for some women, especially if you're, you know, very, very, uh, you know, just type a, you're, you're, you're just like very, um, you just have a lot of stressors in your life. And then on top of that, you have, you know, we have fluctuating hormones, we have, um, other things going on there. So, yeah. So what was your diet yesterday, Rachel Gregory? So let's be fully transparent. What did you do for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and perhaps in between? Sure. So yesterday, I don't, today's Thursday. Yesterday was a, an, so I, I train a lot. I, I do a lot of, uh, lifting weights. Um, 
And yesterday was Wednesday. So it was my off day. Typically on my off days, I do actually incorporate a little bit more fasting in the morning. Um, just to kind of get, I, for me personally, when I'm doing my work in the morning, I feel a little bit more mental clarity, a little bit more focus, um, when I'm just having maybe some coffee with a little bit of cream in it. Um, so yesterday, since I had a rest day, uh, I typically work out around 10 AM. So, um, yesterday was just some light walking. Um, I did fast a little bit till I believe 11 AM. And I usually start my day with pretty much the same breakfast, uh, no matter if it's happening at 11 or it's happening at 8 AM. Um, I consume for breakfast. I am a huge fan of kabocha squash. Have you ever had kabocha squash before? Yes. We make soup out of it. Yeah. So that's one of my favorite foods. Um, I live in California, as I was saying, when we were off air and we actually have it year round, um, which is very, is probably one of the reasons why I still live here. <laughs> I'm obsessed yeah, with no, the I don't blame you. It is the best tasting squatch. That's what yeah, the K, am I correct? Yeah. Kabocha K-A-B-O-C-H-A. I actually wrote a whole blog post on it on my website. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I've eaten kabocha squash every day for the past three years, to be completely honest, I never get sick of it. So I have that, um, in the morning for breakfast with some, uh, usually a mixture of cottage cheese and Greek yogurt sounds a little bit weird, but it's actually pretty good. And then I'll have some cinnamon and some berries on top of that, like frozen berries. Um, and that is my typical breakfast. It's, it's very easy to, to throw together, cook the kabocha squash, you know, a few days it, it stays well in the refrigerator so you can cook it ahead of time. Um, and then for a late lunch yesterday, what did I do yesterday? I think I had, um, just omelets, like an egg omelet with, uh, vegetables. And then for dinner, I think I did a stir fry. I usually, I've been doing stir fries, uh, often lately just cause they're super quick. So just some stir fry veggies with, uh, I do cauliflower rice, stir fry veggies, um, some type of meat, whether it's, you know, um, ground beef or chicken, um, or pork or anything like that. And then for dessert, I typically make a protein ice cream, which is, um, one of my favorite things to make. Uh, and it's, uh, just basically cashew, unsweetened cashew milk with protein powder, ice, and, um, adding some pomegranate seeds on top of that for some crunch. So yeah, I think that was my day of eating yesterday. <laughs> Sounds delicious. <laughs> it's usually pretty much the same thing. So. <laughs> so that's okay. So you actually walk the walk and talk the talk. <laughs> I try. <laughs> So before we go, I want to ask you one more question. Now, obviously, you know a lot about muscle science for women. Are there any mistakes women make when it comes to building up muscles? Oh, yes, there are a lot of mistakes. <laughs> um, I guess the most common mistakes that I see and that I've made myself um, the first one I would say is really for women, particularly who are trying to build muscle, um, is just not eating enough food to support that muscle growth and recovery. Um, so really just kind of stuck in this restriction or this diet mentality. Um, and they're just not eating enough in general, um, to support that, that growth of new tissue. Um, and that would probably be the biggest mistake I see and that I've made for a long period of time. Um, and kind of going along with that is not eating enough protein, um, to support that as well. Um, a few other ones would be not, you know, actually working out too much or training too much. So thinking more is better and not really, you know, recovering optimally, optimally, because we know that 
you know, building muscle is not what you do in the gym, right? When you're in the gym or you're lifting weights, you're actually breaking your muscles down, right? When you're building muscle, that's when you're sleeping. That's when you're recovering. That's when you're in that parasympathetic state, that rest and digest mode, you're allowing your body to rebuild. And so I fell into this a lot too. I always, you know, I was like, go, go, go more is better training six days a week, you know, high intensity. And I wasn't giving myself time to recover. And I wasn't seeing progress because of that. Um, there's so many other ones as well, but those would probably be my, my top two that I see most often with clients that I work with. Now, before we go, tell my listeners about this course that you offer. It's called keto for women. Who would that be good for? Absolutely. So I actually created that course because a lot, I've had a lot of women coming to me who have been, um, more so on that strict keto side for a long time. Um, and they're kind of just get to this point where they're stuck, not just, you know, what, what, with what they're doing, but from a psychological standpoint, they're stuck. Like I mentioned in this very kind of carb phobic mindset, thinking that if they're going to, if they eat one carb or eat, you know, a sweet potato that they're going to, you know, blow up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, I came from that a little bit too myself, um, especially after I kind of went down that low carb keto rabbit hole for a long time. Um, I came out on the other side, very carb phobic, and I had to get through that myself. And I had to, you know, figure out some strategies and some ways to start to reintroduce carbs in a way that made sense. Um, so that's really why I put this program together. It's for women who have gone keto, maybe they saw results initially, um, and they still, you know, enjoy and see some results from living maybe a lower carb lifestyle, but they want more balance in their life. They want to know how to introduce, uh, carbs back in, how to be able to live more of a real realistic lifestyle with, with the environment that we live in. So being able to have, you know, some, uh, some carbs on occasion, maybe that even aren't whole foods, right? So having some cake and things like that, we know, obviously cake is carbs and fat, but you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. So really that's what that program is for. And then also just, it's a, it is a, uh, body composition, fat loss focused program. So we are going over, um, all of the fundamentals of looking at fat loss as the main goal and kind of teaching a lot of education behind, you know, what happens with that and why building muscle is so important to change your body composition. You know, the kind of the downfalls, like we said, of fasting, maybe some of the the benefits and so forth. So, um, that is a three month program that I offer and it's for women who are just looking to, to become, uh, more of a balance, incorporate more of a balanced, uh, what I call Metflex lifestyle. So how do people find you last but not least? How do we find you online? Absolutely. So my website is actually called metflexlife.com. Metflexlife.com, all one word. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's where all my programs are. I have lots of blog posts, free recipes. All of that is on my website. Um, I have a podcast myself. It's called, uh, Metflex and chill. <laughs> um, mm. and then I have, uh, most active on Instagram, on social media, my handles at rachelgregory.cns. Lovely. You know, when my publicist booked you, I thought to myself, what am I going to say to this gal who's talking about a ketogenic diet? Because I'm not necessarily a fan, but I find myself agreeing with every single thing that you said, including the kombucha soup and the kombucha squash. (laughs) So I thank you so much. Any other parting words, my dear? Oh, no, just thank you so much. And it's nice to have uh, someone else who is very fond of kabocha squash. It's hard to find, actually. (laughs) I learned to love it back east. I'm from New England and we had it every fall, but I'd love to move to San Diego where I could have it every day for breakfast. Lovely. 
So I want to thank <laughs> yeah. you once again, Rachel Gregory. I want to thank my listeners for listening in yet once again to First Lady Nutrition Podcast. Stay tuned next week for a wonderful scintillating, scintillating episode. Thank you, my friends. Be well, be safe, be healthy. Shalom. And please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.